Last week I teased you a bit and I said there's a new sermon series coming, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking about making you wait another week just because it's fun, the anticipation. <laughs> I love people contacting me trying to crack the code. Give me a hint. What is it? What can it be? But I figure I'll tell you. Uh, so this fall, uh, we are going to get into a new series, and it's going to be aimed at helping us grow in evangelism and apologetics, learning to share our faith. Uh, it's going to be called the same thing as the curriculum that we've been developing with um, Ravi Zacharias Ministries. It's called, I don't know where to start learning to share your faith with others. That's the fall theme. I don't know where to start learning to share your faith with others. I don't know if you've gone through evangelism training before, if you've ever gone through a class or whatever, but sharing your faith with others is pretty terrifying. Would you agree? <laughs> Especially when the topics come up, uh, could be things that you've never really even uh, talked about or, or, or studied. So we want to help you. One of our pillars in this church is evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. So all fall long, we're all working on learning to share our faith with others. My sermons will be along this theme. Uh, I'll preach sermons on uh, common objections to the Christian faith, um, creation, what we believe about the beginning, morality, what we believe about right and wrong. There'll be a whole week we spend on what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about heaven and hell, how our faith compares to other religions. And this is not aimed at being another Bible study so that by January 1st, you can be like, oh great, I know a whole lot more about these topics. We're training you to talk to other people about your faith. And we're going to challenge you to grow in that. Now, the small group curriculum that's called, I don't know where to start, uh, was developed over the last two and a half years with RZIM. Ravi Zacharias Ministries is an international apologetics ministry. They go all over the world and they share their faith. And they, then at the end of their presentation, they're at university campuses, government meetings. They're in countries that are hostile to the faith. They let anybody come up to the mic and ask any question they want. How intimidating is that? They're evangelizing the Taliban. I mean, it's amazing what they're doing. And we got four of their speakers to come to our Aurora campus and to, to videotape all of this small group material. So it's these speakers in the small group helping us grow in sharing our faith. All of our small groups are going to go through it, and this is a great time for you to get into a small group if you're not into a small, in a small group already. We're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. If you would consider this your church home, we ask that you get into a small group because that's how we disciple you. There's a table in the gym that says, Walk with Christ. And if you'd love to walk with Christ with us this fall, growing in evangelism and apologetics, stop by the table today and talk to somebody about getting plugged into a small group. But I'm excited about the series. Uh, it's going to challenge you. It's going to stretch you and grow you. But uh, by the end of it, you're going to feel more equipped and, and confident uh, and willing to share your faith than ever before. So that's where we're going this fall. Now, we have these, these next two weeks that are just kind of filler weeks. The old series is done. The new series hasn't started. So I told you last week we're going to look back at some heroes of the Old Testament that, that didn't make it into the series that I preached two years ago on um, the Old Testament characters. So these are like outtakes, like director's cut. And I've never preached these here. So uh, you have the benefit of hearing them. We're going to talk about Habakkuk this morning. We talked about Caleb last week, faith that endures 40 years in the wilderness. 
Habakkuk is going to teach us about faith that waits. And then next week we'll look at Josiah. Uh, So Habakkuk, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, good luck. (laughs) When's the last time you turned in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk? Is anybody pregnant? Are you expecting and looking through the baby name book? Allow me to suggest Habakkuk for your next child. You can shorten it to like Habby, you know, or Cuck Cuck or something like that. But Habakkuk, that, this guy had to live with this name. And uh, as you t- it's next to Nahum, if that helps. Habakkuk is where you're going. He's going to teach us about faith that waits. Uh, okay, now raise your hand up nice and high if you love to wait in lines. Go ahead, put your hand up. It's the thing you look forward to at the amusement parks. Sometimes you go to the DMV just because you really love to wait in line, even if you don't need a license renewal. Anyone? No one? Wow. We have a universal loathing of waiting, don't we? We do. But we can't avoid waiting. A New York Times article said that Americans will wait, collectively, a sum total of 37 billion hours in a year. If you add up how long all Americans wait for whatever, it's 37 billion hours doing this. You can't avoid it. You don't like it. What's even worse is God will make you wait for things. And how do we deal with that? You know, kids don't like to wait. In our family, we make our kids wait for things to show them what's special. So like, you've got to wait until you're in sixth grade to have a cell phone. Well, my middle daughter, Cassie, just got into sixth grade. So she's like, where's my cell phone? I've waited for it. And, and last week, I had the nerve to suggest that maybe to save the family money, Ellie, my oldest, and Cassie, my middle, could share a cell phone. How, do you think that went over well? Like Ellie gets it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Cassie gets it Tuesday. No! It's like I asked them to switch heads or something. They just explode. No! Cassie's like, I waited for it. I want my cell phone. Wait. And I make them wait because I'm the worst parent in the world, right? No, because I know that some things are worth waiting for. God is making you wait. He's making you wait for something. He's making you wait for something good. And you're wondering why. You're not happy about it. You've asked him. You've trusted him. He maybe hasn't said no yet, but he certainly hasn't said yes. And now you're waiting. Uh, God knows that the long road can do things the short road can't. Nobody said amen, (laughs) but you know it's true. The long road can teach you things the short road can't. The long road can make you things the short road can't. He'll make you wait. I want you to just take a moment now and write down a few things in your bulletin. Just write down a few things that God made you wait for in the past. What did he make you wait for in the past? God made me wait for, and I'm writing a few things down right now too. God made me wait for this. And write, that, write down next to it how long he made you wait for it. So I've got this one, and this is 18 years. And then I've got this one, and this is 19 years. And I've got this one, and this was five years. Things that he made you wait for, and then he came through, and he blessed you and answered your prayer. You got them? All right, now, if you're honest... If, if God had given you that thing in a day, 
it wouldn't be as good of a story. It wouldn't have been as formative of a thing in your life. The time was part of the lesson. God will make you wait. He has made you wait. It's because the long road will teach you things the short road can't. Habakkuk is going to help us understand why we wait and how we can wait while God delays. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, we know that you make us wait. You are making us wait right now. We don't like it, but we pray that you would give us perspective on how you use delay to form faith within us. Lord, increase our faith. Teach us through Habakkuk. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you're there. Habakkuk chapter 1. A little history. You just turned back to 640 BC. That's where you are in time. Uh, The king is likely Josiah. And in Israel, there were three branches of government, prophet, priest, and king. King was the king, ruler, powerful, ruled the army. The priests were powerful, ruled the temple and the local worship uh, places, and so they had power. The prophets, though, were raised up by God to be a check on the kings and the priests. The prophet would show up and thump them on the head and say, hey, you need... I'm." I'm God's enforcer of the law. And so the prophet had the power to to issue judgment, to do miracles. The prophet also had the power to anoint kings. All right? I don't think America would like that plan (laughs) really well. Who's our next president? I don't know. We have to wait until the prophet pours oil on his head, and then we'll figure it out. Nobody gets a vote. Nobody gets a vote. That's just the way it was. The prophet was a powerful branch. Habakkuk was a prophet. Uh, God gave Habakkuk a chance to ask him two questions. What would you ask God if you had a chance to ask him two questions, knowing that the whole thing was going to get in the Bible? And this conversation is what makes up the book of Habakkuk. It's these two questions, and then in the end, the third chapter is a, a prayer song that Habakkuk wrote to commemorate this dialogue with God, and it became like a hymn uh, in the Old Testament. Now, some weeks we like spend time with a little passage, like five, six verses. Some weeks I've even preached a sermon on one verse. Today we're going to go through the whole book. How about that? You get a whole book sermon this morning. It's unusual. Tell the person next to you, this is unusual. I don't usually do this, all right? But we're just going to skip through a few verses in the book and you're going to get the whole story of Habakkuk this morning. So check out uh, chapter one of Habakkuk. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The first question Habakkuk asks, you can write this down, is, God, why are you doing nothing? Oh Lord, verse 2, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? God, why are you doing nothing? I'm crying and you're not listening. Says in verse 3, I'm seeing iniquity and you're not even seeing it. It says in verse 4, the law, which is God's word, is paralyzed, and I'm surrounded by the wicked. Your eyes aren't working, your ears aren't working, your mouth isn't working. God, you're doing nothing. 
This is pretty bold for him to ask this of a holy God. Why are you doing nothing? Now, what's making him feel this way? Here's a picture of Israel. Uh, The southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. If you know your history, in Solomon's day, God broke the kingdom in half because of Solomon's sins. Two tribes in the south, ten tribes in the north. And so whenever you see them referred to as Israel and Judah, here's the two. Now, the nation in the north, Israel, was naughtier than the south, so they got sent into exile. They were invaded by the Assyrians, and they were sent into exile in 722 B.C. Now, this happened, and, and it already happened. It'd be like North Korea invading the United States and taking the southern states and then deporting many of the people back to North Korea and settling their people here. And we all see it happen, and we're like, <gasps> it already happened. Now, the southern southern tribes in Judah weren't getting the message. They weren't heeding the wake-up call. They were becoming more crooked and corrupt by the day. And Habakkuk is seeing this and saying, Why am I surrounded by the wicked? The Assyrians who are our overlords and my own people who are sinful, and you're doing nothing. Now, check out this next screen. This is where the Assyrians deported the Israelites. So, all over. Took them all over the place. And here's the next slide which shows the whole Assyrian kingdom. They were a superpower. They could do what they wanted back then. Their empire stretched all the way from northeastern Africa, all the way across the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And Wow. Habakkuk sees this. He sees sin. And he doesn't know why God isn't acting. It's not like he saw somebody shoplift at a Walgreens, like, stop that man from stealing candy bar. These are, these are nation-altering events. The depravity is on a scale that's unprecedented. Now, God had told the Israelites in Moses' day, if you break my covenant, I will kick you out of the promised land. God was allowing that to happen. Northern kingdom gone, southern kingdom soon to follow. Habakkuk looks around and says, Lord, why are you doing nothing? You're letting the wicked get away with it. He's helping us see how he feels. He feels like God is being passive. But God's passivity is an illusion. God's inactivity is an illusion. God's indifference is an illusion. Or if you want a stronger word, It's a lie. Whenever there's a voice in your life telling you that God doesn't know, doesn't care, is doing nothing, that voice is misleading you. It's not true. It feels true, but it's not true. We tell ourselves this. The enemy tells us that he doesn't know, he doesn't care. He's doing nothing. How many times have you in your heart long To see God just do something already. Why are you doing nothing to fix my marriage? Why are you doing nothing to change my children? Why are you doing nothing to improve my financial condition? We feel that way. But what we see here is we learn that when we feel powerless, when we feel helpless, when we feel outraged and impatient, we learn that we have a patient God. God is being patient. He's being patient with the wicked and the righteous here. Never desire for God to become impatient. 
Be careful what you allow your heart to long for. Do you really want an impatient God? Do you want him to be less patient in Noah's day when he allowed Noah and his family to build the ark and board? Because if God ran out of patience, humanity's over. It was his patience that delayed judgment. Do you really want God to be less patient with you? I wasn't saved until I was a freshman in college. Do I really want God to be less patient? Because his patience could have run out on me five years before I was saved, and he could have said, I'm done with that guy. He's got no hope. We have a problem with God's patience, usually when the patience is getting in the way of us getting what we want, right? We'd almost like to control God's patience. Like, God, it's fine if you're patient with me, but why are you being so patient with my boss? Your patience stops here. I'd really love for you to become far less patient with my spouse than you. How selfish is that? We have to wait because God is patient, and he's being patient with the righteous and the wicked here in this book. First question, God, why are you doing nothing? God answers in verse 5. He says in verse 5 this to Habakkuk, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He says, look and see. Who's the one who's not seeing? It's not God. Wonder and be astounded. Stand in awe. Because I am doing something, but guess what? If I told you, if I told you what I was doing, do you know what you'd say to me, Habakkuk? You'd say, no, uh no way. I don't believe it. God says he's doing things that are beyond Habakkuk's capacity to even believe if he knew them. You think I'm doing nothing? Look at the nations and see, but you can't even believe it because it's so awesome. This speaks to our own faith. You can write that down if you haven't already. God's response is, I'm doing unbelievable things. God, why are you doing nothing? His response, no, no, I'm doing unbelievable things. Wow, what faith we learn here. When we feel like God is doing nothing, when you feel like God is doing nothing to get you that, He's doing nothing to help you, with that. He's doing nothing to solve that, to fix that. No, no, I'm doing unbelievable things. Several years ago, we took our family to Walt Disney World, so our kids were all like four years younger, five years younger. And, uh, you know, when you go to Disney World, uh, they're so excited, they just want to do everything all at once. If they could ride every ride at the same time, they'd do it. So you go on one ride, and then after that, they're like, let's go to the next one, let's go to the next one, let's go to the next one. You're just trying to keep up with the kids, and you can't move fast enough, right? They just want to race to the next thing. So on one day, my oldest child, Ellie, uh, apparently was not happy with my rate, my velocity. So she looked up at me and said, come on, Dad, you're a slowpoke. And my youngest son, Jared, looked at her and said, no, he's not. He's awesome. Guess who got more Disney dollars that day? (laughs) Correction. He's awesome. You know, when you look up at your God and you say, you are being a slowpoke, the Bible says, no, he's not. 
He's being awesome. You just can't see it yet. I'm doing unbelievable things. Can you say that by faith? Can you really say about the thing you're waiting for? You're doing unbelievable things, Lord. I know you're being awesome. I just can't see it yet. Could you say that by faith? God said it. Check out verse 6. Oh, what is he going to do? He tells him. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, those are the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. Skip down to verse 10. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. God just told Habakkuk about 200 years worth of political history. If God told you 200 years of future politics, you'd be rich. Put it in a book, give it to CNN, you'd be rich. If you had 200 years of accurate, global, this nation's going to do this, this nation's going to do that, you'd be rich. He told them 200 years, the Babylonians, who weren't that big of a deal, now are going to rise up. They're going to overthrow the Assyrians. They're going to become the superpower. And guess what? They're going to come and they're going to clean house. They will take care of the wicked that you are so bothered by. So don't worry. I'm doing an unbelievable thing to judge the wicked. Well, Habakkuk didn't know how to feel about this. Let me get this straight. So it's like North Korea came and took away the southern states and now you're going to send Russia to conquer North Korea and take away the northern states because of their sin. I don't know how I feel about that, Lord. So now he knows what God's going to do and he doesn't know if he likes it. You're doing nothing! Here's what I'm going to do. I don't like it. Do something else. Isn't this how we go with God? How would you handle it if he told you the future and his plans? Oh, I'm planning to take out the wicked. Here's how I'm going to do it. I don't like that plan. That's a bad plan. I remember watching um, the movie Argo. Have you seen the movie Argo with Ben Affleck? It's, uh, it's about the uh, Iranian hostage crisis where they had, you know, those, those uh, uh, the people couldn't get out. They were like in hiding and they were trying to get them out, right? And, uh, and so Iran was trying to track them down and um, so the plan to get them out was a Canadian film crew was going to come in and, and make this fake movie. And, uh, and then they were going to come with these people and they were going to use that as the disguise and then they were going to get them out. All right. So Ben Affleck plays the character who pitches this idea to the government official. And check out how he responds. There are only bad options. It's about finding the best one. You don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have, sir, by far. I like that. You don't, ever, you don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have. Hey, when God does something and you don't like it, you might find yourself saying, Lord, this sounds like a really bad idea. Do you have a better bad idea than this? As God's will unfolds in your life, you may find yourself saying, that's a bad idea, Lord. I don't like where this is going. I want another plan. And that's your chance to, to go on a faith challenge. 
God's doing unbelievable things, but you have to walk by faith if you're going to see where those things are going. It's going to take faith. And here God told them about a couple hundred years of political history, and God is going to rid the wicked. And then God does even more. It's amazing. So the second question Habakkuk asks is this. First, he said, God, why are you doing nothing? Oh, I'm doing unbelievable things. Question two, why does it feel like things will never get better? All right, you're doing something, but it sounds like it's just going to be the same old thing. The bad guy wins. Why does it feel like things will never get better? Look at verse 12. In verse 12, Habakkuk says this. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Watch his approach here. He's reminding God who God is. We shall not die, meaning, may this not happen. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? The man more righteous than he. Now listen, he's going to describe how he feels and he's going to describe how he sees humanity. In verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So he uses this fishing illustration to explain to God how he feels about himself and humanity. He's saying this, Lord, it seems like humanity is just caught up in this big evil net. Like there's these evil guys and they're just catching us with a hook and they're reeling us in and then they're showing us off. And, and then he says, this is despair. Is this the way it's going to be forever? Are you just going to let wickedness rule the earth and never change anything? So to act this out a little bit, uh, I need a volunteer, somebody to come up on stage. It won't be embarrassing for you. It'll be a little embarrassing for me. So if anyone has been looking forward to embarrassing me in any way, you're Dan Artis, thank you for volunteering. Come on up. Yeah. Oh, I picked Dan, but Marianne was very quick to get up there. All right, so, so Dan, you're over there, right? And uh, you're, you're the fisherman and I'm the fish, okay? So I'm walking away and you can go ahead and catch me. So reel it out. And I'm just walking along. Whoa! Ow! You got to reel me in. Oh my goodness! What is going on here? No, I don't want to come this way. No. You better pull the reel back. Oh no! Here I go again! And then he catches me and then he holds me up and shows me off. Thank you, Dan. Very good. Habakkuk says, This is how I feel. I feel like I just am being caught by wickedness. I'm, I'm bound by powers beyond my control. And is this the way it's going to be forever, Lord? Wicked just keeps on winning. Feels like a victim. Feels like he has no control. And he thinks God's going to let it happen forever. Maybe you feel this way. Maybe you feel like things are just never going to get better. There's nothing I can do. And yet, 
Like Habakkuk, you can't reconcile that with what you know to be true about God. In verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting? Lord, you're an eternal being. You're my holy one. In verse 12, he says, You're my rock. In verse 13, he says, You have purer eyes than to even see evil or look at wrong. He doesn't know how all of this evil can stand when God is who he said he is. And he feels so trapped. And he's afraid it's going to be like this forever. God, why does it feel like things will never get any better? The Lord has allowed righteous people in this room to feel this exact same way. He's allowed people to just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And it gets worse and you wait. Um, I asked one of our elders, Mike Brooks, if I could share a story from his family. And uh, he shared this before also. But when his son years ago was three years old, he just began to have horrible seizures, um, seizures that would last a day, like, like life-endangering seizures. Lips would turn blue. And this is your three-year-old son. Takes him to the doctor, prays, prays, short road, short road, God. Uh, but no, one year, two years, three years of seizures, four years, five years of seizures, Keep going. Doctors say it's going to be this way forever. There's nothing you can do about it. God doesn't take it away. Why? Because he's mean? Why? Because he's not listening? In this case, God waited, and in answer to the prayers of many people in a moment, he did something unbelievable. When Mike's father passed away, they just said to him, they just said, hey, when, when you go, can you, just, can you just talk to God about these seizures? And his father passed away, and from that day on, 14 years, no seizures. 14 years. I'm doing awesome things. You just can't see it yet. Now, if the beginning of that story was he had a seizure that lasted three minutes and then the medication stopped it and it never happened again, is that a story? Am I going to tell you that? Oh, how unbelievable is that? Short road stories aren't as good as long road stories. And no one can change that God gave them a 14-year-long answer to prayer. That is a story that can now never be changed to display his power over this. But it took five years for God's plan to unfold. God will make you wait. Feels like things will never get better. Just wait, just wait. God's response is this. You can write this down. Wait by faith and you will see my will prevail. Wait by faith and you will see my will prevail. God will prove to be who you know him to be. Verse 17 is so filled with despair, mercilessly killing nations forever. Look at chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He's alert. He's listening to God. He's staying at his post. That's a posture of faith. Verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. So first God like said something to him about you know, a couple hundred years. Then it seems like God showed him a vision of the future. All right, This is really spectacular. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. 
For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Get this. If it seems slow, wait for it. Did you catch that? If it seems slow, if it seems, if he seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Then it says, behold, his soul, the wicked, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous, the righteous shall live by his faith. This is a very popular, famous verse in the New Testament. It's quoted three times. The righteous will live by faith. It's amazing to know that God does make that distinction between the righteous and between the, between the wicked. When he feels like things will never be, get better, God says, wait by faith and you will see my will prevail. This verse, the righteous shall live by faith, is quoted in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the book of Hebrews. And God flat out says it. It will seem slow. You will have to wait for it. That's what faith is all about. Faith and waiting are kind of the same thing. Check this out. This is one of the longest lines in the world. These are Hindus who are getting ready to go bathe in the Ganges. To them, in their theology, they think a a dip in this river will cleanse them of sin. So they will wait. Would you get in that line for anything? And, And this is just one line, but if you see in the distance, they set up these temporary rafts. Check this out. Here's a longer, wider angle. All of those people are waiting for their turn to get into the river because they think by it they will receive spiritual blessing. Wow. You're going to feel like you're waiting in that line. Your God will make you wait. He will. Are you willing to wait? If you wait by faith, you will see His will prevail. How do you know that? This is where it gets pretty awesome. He shows him this vision, and then Habakkuk like, tells us pieces of it later. So look at verse 13. It says in verse 13, Behold, chapter 2, verse 13, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Meaning, I'm going to let them fail. Patiently let them fail. Verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is awesome. This is in a moment of despair in Israel's history, like fireworks going up, a burst of light. Oh, do you not know I will let the nations in futility fail? But get this, get this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You don't see that now. You don't see a world anywhere close to that now. You see a world filled with darkness and savagery and injustice and godlessness. And by faith, God says, do you not know I'm letting that happen, but I'll tell you the end. The earth will be full of my glory. First, he tells them a couple hundred years worth of history. Then he shoots them ahead to the future and shows them the end. Habakkuk saw it. We don't know exactly how he saw it, but he saw Maybe it was the millennial kingdom, maybe it was the eternal state. We don't know, but God showed him a vision of what was coming in the end, a time that hasn't even happened yet. So look at verse 13 of chapter 2. Chapter two well, we just read 13 and 14, so skip to uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2, he goes on and he says, 
O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now he talks about what he saw. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Look ahead to verse uh, 13. It says in verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God came out. He filled the earth with his glory. He judged the wicked. He exalted the righteous. And the praise was being sung all around the earth. When he saw this, how did it make Habakkuk feel? Look at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath. He saw it, he saw it, and he went like this. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't stand up. I don't believe it. And God gave him this picture of the future, and then he brought him right back to his post. Set him right back in his day and age. He said, I can't even stand because it's so amazing. I have to hold on to something. Now, from this conversation, we can draw three faith convictions. Why are you doing nothing? Oh, I'm doing unbelievable things. It feels like nothing's going to get better. Well, wait by faith and you'll see. And he did see. And so three faith convictions we can take from him. You can write this first one down based on what he saw and what he waits for. Number one, God, he says... I believe everything I've heard. Write that down. God, I believe everything I've heard. That comes from chapter 3, verse 2. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And let me just tell you this. If you don't believe what you hear from this book, nothing in your life will make sense to you. You will not be able to come up with an explanation for all of the pain and suffering that you face in this world unless you hear and believe this book. Your life will be a garbled mess of unexplainable tragedies and, and deep pain. And the reason it doesn't make sense is because God is telling you, I'm using all of that to teach you the truth. Once you believe the truth, then it starts to make sense. He says, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Then he says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. So write this down. Number two, Lord, I long to see your power move in my day. I believe everything you, I've heard, and I long to see your power move in my day. Okay, Lord, you told me the next 200 years, you showed me the distant future. Based on that based on the fact that you've got the whole world under your control, do something awesome now. Do something unbelievable through me. Knowledge of God's sovereignty did not fuel this passivity in Habakkuk's heart. He didn't say, oh, well, God's got the whole thing under control. We're like puppets. So good luck. Go ahead. It made him spring into action. It made his faith spring into action. He started asking God to do some things because of his sovereignty. 
Lord, do something in the middle. And we are in the middle of the story now. God made the world wait for Christ to come. But then the Messiah finally arrived. Angels sang about it the night Christ was born. God made the world wait for Christ to come. He's making the world wait for Christ to come back. He's being patient. But listen, we're in the middle of the story. And we want God, as Habakkuk says, in the middle, in the midst of the years, revive your work, make it known. We want God to make his son known now. We want God to do a work now. We want God's mercy to be given out now. While he's, wait, while he's waiting, while we're waiting, we should be asking him, Lord, we want your power to move in my day. And the third longing is this. Write this down. I will wait joyfully, come what may. I believe everything I've heard. I long to see your power move in my day. And I will wait joyfully, come what may. Check out verse 17. These are probably the most famous verses in Habakkuk. And from them, we can hear how his faith was radically changed. He started the book a big old complainer, right? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Listen to how it ends. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the oil of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. So all the plants die. He's probably thinking this is going to happen because of the invasion. Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall, so all the animals die. You go to the grocery store and there's no food or vegetables. You go to the restaurant and there's nothing on the menu. Starvation. Worst case scenario. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then it reminds us to the choir master with stringed instruments that this was a song he wrote. He became the choir director. He turned this into a praise song so that he can help other people sing. Now there are some preachers who will get up here and say, if you walk by faith, all of your dreams will come true. And maybe if you have the Disney Princess Bible, that's the way it will all work out for you. But we don't believe in those fairy tales. Habakkuk is saying this, even if all of your fears come true and the worst case scenario is what you're living through, what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in the God of your salvation. He is your strength. He will enable you. His plans will prevail. Hey, I will wait joyfully, come what may, no conditions. Habakkuk learned to wait by faith while all of his fears would be fulfilled. Yet God would deliver him. He saw it with his own eyes. God would deliver the world. Do you have faith to believe that? Do you have faith to believe that while you feel like God is, is delaying, he's being awesome? Do you have faith to believe that he will fulfill his word? You can believe everything you heard about him. Do you have faith to believe that now before you see it? He's doing awesome things. You just can't see it yet. He's hard at work. Can you wait joyfully and sing with all of your heart while you wait? Well, Habakkuk's story motivates us to see our lives differently. So at the beginning, I asked you to write down a few things that God made you wait for. Now I want you to write down a few things that God is making you wait for right now. Go ahead and write those down. Write down a few things that God is making you wait for uh, right now. 
I'm going to write a few down also. And uh, write down how long he has made you wait for these things so far. I've got six years on this one. I've got five years on this one. What is he making you wait for? Let's lift these things up to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Habakkuk is so honest with you. You're so gracious with him. But the way he felt is the way we feel. And Lord, as he asked, Oh Lord, how long? How long? That is the yearning of our heart. How long, Lord? We will be honest, we feel like you haven't heard, we feel like you haven't seen, but we will wonder and be astounded. We will believe with resolve that you are who you said you are. You are the everlasting one. You do have pure eyes to not look upon evil. You won't simply make us helpless creatures who live without hope. This isn't the way it's always going to be. And if it seems slow, we will wait. Habakkuk got to see it, but we believe by faith that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You're in total control of all human history. So give us faith to wait, O Lord, even if our legs tremble, even if our bones ache. O Lord, even if You take everything out of our lives. You are our strength. You enable us to make it through. So, Lord, fill us with joy as you write stories that glorify your name. We pray this while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen.